Hello, Mountain. Happy New Year to our friends at Bel Air and over in Edgewood, and Happy New Year to all of you gathered here at Mountain Road. Uh, it's an exciting New Year beginning, right, uh, with the snow and everything, and congratulations to everyone for making it through the snow and this cold front that's hit. I got a text from Ben on Thursday at about 10 a.m., and he's at a cabin in northern Minnesota, and the temperature was 36 degrees below zero. Uh, and he said that uh, he and Nathan were actually going out cross-country skiing a little later in the day when it warmed up just a little bit. Yeah. Well, we're jumping back into the story after a couple-of-week break, and what a great couple of weeks it has been. Uh, we had 17 Christmas services over four days and three campuses, and 11,875 people gathered to celebrate Christ first. So, yeah, that's... And last week, we celebrated together all that God had done in us and through us over the past year. And if you missed the celebration video, be sure and go to our website and check that out. It's just fantastic. I'll give you goosebumps. And we also reached our goal of sponsoring 800 children between May and the end of the year. We are actually at 809 now. So after our last Christmas service, we got the opportunity to shave Ben's head. And so the rest of us who had shaved heads along the way got a touch-up as well. And when you see Ben next, be sure and give him a celebratory head rub, would you? Uh, that'd be great. As we jump back into the story, if you're new to Mountain, we just want to encourage you to uh, jump in as well. And let me uh, encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, The Story. It's only $5 at the resource table. Uh, grab that before you leave. It's not the Bible, but 90% of the story is straight from Scripture. And it's put together like a novel to help us get the big picture of what God is doing, the big picture story of what he's up to. And through this journey, we're, we're all going to come to know God's story. We've already been doing that. And our prayer is that you will come to know the God of the story and that God will transform, transform your story and write it into his story. And our goal is for each person to, to read the chapter that we're going to be preaching on and then to get together with a group of friends to talk about it. And if you haven't yet connected to a group, be sure and stop by the connecting corner and get connected uh, even today. So what would you call somebody who has more money than Bill Gates, who's composed more songs than you 2 has written a book on romance that has outsold anything Danielle Steele has ever written, and he's more sought after for advice than Dear Abby and Dr. Phil combined? What would you call somebody like that besides busy? Well, this weekend, we're going to take a look at the life of Solomon, the king who had it all. How many of you have already made some New Year's resolutions? And how many of you have already broken them? Did you know that 45% of Americans actually make New Year's resolutions or will this year? And the most popular resolutions are these. Number one, lose weight. Number two, improve your finances. Number three, exercise. Number four, get a new job. Oh, no, wait. I didn't mean to share my resolutions. I, that was supposed to, <laughs> supposed to be the most popular. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn over to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2. If you turn in there. In 1 Kings 2, we read about King Solomon. And when the time grew, drew near, it says, for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands. 
Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And you will never fail to have a successor on the throne. You see this picture here? For the first time in Israel, leadership has passed from king to king successfully, father to son, from David to Solomon. The whole nation is so excited. This is going to be their time. As Solomon takes the throne, the potential was so high. And the crash was so tragic. Which is why Act 4 of the story that we start today is entitled, Things Fall Apart. If you watch the news after a plane crash, investigators are looking to find what? A black box. That indestructible box that, that they should maybe make the whole plane out of, right? The black box, it, why do they look for it? It's because it tells a story of what happened to the plane. Investigators, they're going to learn what went wrong, but also what can be done to keep the same thing from happening again. And so as we study together through the story, we're going to look at the black boxes of different people in the Bible. And we're learning what led to their crash. And hopefully we not only see what happened, but we can make some changes in our own lives so that it doesn't have to happen again. And this week we're going to be looking at the black box of King Solomon. And we read about his story in 1 Kings. And Solomon also wrote, also wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is basically Solomon's diary, his black box for us. And he just lays it out there hoping that we can learn from him and from his mistakes. Ecclesiastes tells us that Solomon was a king who pursued happiness with gusto. He used all of his resources to find pleasure in life. In fact, Solomon was probably a perfect cultural equivalent for Americans. If you ask the average American about the purpose in life, he or she might say, oh, the purpose of life is to be happy. That's what I'm pursuing. That's how I'm investing my resources for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's how Solomon lived his life. And oh, he did it to the extreme, full out. Solomon tried laughter because laughter should obviously bring happiness, right? But it was short-lived. He tried drinking and partying, and that didn't bring lasting happiness either, just feelings of emptiness. So Solomon tried great projects. He built houses for himself, for himself and parks and vineyards, but that didn't bring lasting happiness either. Solomon surrounded himself with servants. He had maids and butlers and chauffeurs and personal shoppers. But all of his wealth and all the servants, he just found meaningless. Solomon's probably best known for pursuing happiness by having multiple wives, like hundreds of wives. Solomon had, are you ready for this? And this is not a misprint. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines or mistresses. Solomon had romantic relationships with 1,000 women. Do I need to say that that's probably not a recipe for happiness? <laughs> and each time Solomon gets married, can't you see it? My guess is each time he got married, he thought to himself, maybe this time I'm going to be happy. Maybe this next wife is going to be the one that's going to satisfy me. And yet happiness remains elusive. But just like Solomon today, we jump from relationship 
relationship to relationship simply because our spouse doesn't make us happy anymore. And so we look for another relationship because the next relationship, that may be the answer. But just like Solomon, the next relationship probably won't be the answer to your happiness pursuit either. At the end of all of these pursuits, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon concludes, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So let's see what we can learn together about Solomon's crash. King David was a great king. And though he totally messed up, David was a man after God's own heart. But Solomon, he he was David's son, but don't start believing that Solomon was the king who had it all because he inherited it from his father. No, here's how it happened. In 1 Kings 3, verse 5, we read, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, what if God said something like that to you? Ask for whatever you want me to give you, and you can have it. What would you say to something like that? We just finished Christmas time. It's maybe like going and sitting on Santa's lap, and Santa asks you, what do you want? (coughs) Everything can seem so perfect with such a request until you look at it a little more closely, like this picture of my great-niece on Santa's lap. It's a, it's a perfect classic Santa and a beautiful pouty-lipped 14-month-old gir- little, old girl, little girl with an unintentional finger. You can see that. <laughs> now, hey, it's my great-niece. I think that Harper was just saying that she wanted just one thing. And you know, that's what Solomon asked for as well. Just, just one thing. Solomon asked God what he wants, and look at what Solomon asked for in verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. And in verse 9, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he asked for a discerning heart to govern God's people well. And then look at God's response in verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself or the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Solomon asked for wisdom to benefit the people that he was going to serve. What a great request, and God honors it. One day, two prostitutes come before Solomon, and one of their babies had died, and both mothers claimed that the child who lived was theirs. And so Solomon says, cut the baby in two, and we'll give half to each woman. Well, one woman said, oh, go ahead, cut him in half. But the other woman said, no, don't. Let her have the baby. Just let him live. And just like that, Solomon knew who the real mother was. Now, these women were prostitutes, and no one in the kingdom cared what happened to them or their children. But Solomon cared. You see, Solomon is committed to justice for everyone. 
Solomon asked God for wisdom so he could serve all the people. And after that, well, the story of King Solomon and his wisdom, it went viral. I mean, every social media app just exploded about his, this story. And Solomon is suddenly famous for his wisdom. And then Solomon's kingdom begins to expand and to flourish. Look at 1 Kings 4. The people of Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now that sounds like a familiar passage. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. And these countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Now don't, me, don't miss this. As we read earlier in the story, God promised Abraham generations before that he would have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and they would occupy all of Canaan. And now in 1 Kings 4.20, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. It says Israel was as numerous as the sand on the seashore. This is the highest point Israel will ever achieve as a nation. God's people will always look back to this time as their very greatest moment. Solomon, the king who had it all. Look at verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Now the east was known for its wisdom. Remember in the Christmas story, the wise men came from the east. But God gave Solomon greater wisdom than anyone. And Solomon became legendary. Verse 34 says, People of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. God says to Abraham, 14 generations earlier, all the people, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And now it is coming true through Solomon. But notice that God never blesses us just for our own sake. God always blesses us so that the world may be blessed through us. So now the whole known world is coming to Solomon for wisdom. And Israel can finally fulfill the promise to Abraham that God is going to bless the whole world through them. The question is, will they? Over and over again, God warns Solomon that God's blessing is only going to continue if Solomon leads the people in living by the wisdom that God has given him. Only if they live by the wisdom God has given them will the blessing continue. And you see, the wisdom that God has given Solomon is Solomon's greatest legacy. His wisdom is collected for us in a book called Proverbs that we find in our, in our Bibles. And in Proverbs 1, verse 7, Solomon summarizes the importance of these Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. We've got to understand what wisdom really is, because we tend to confuse wisdom with information. And there's more information coming at us now than ever before, but information, information isn't wisdom. And we confuse wisdom with intelligence, but you can be super smart and still not very wise. You ever know anyone like that? They are brilliant. But when it comes to real life wisdom, they are dumber than a box of rocks, right? Friends, we need to understand what wisdom is. 
Wisdom is the ability to discern the best, God-honoring, life-enhancing course of action and then do it. It's the ability to discern the best, God-honoring, life-enhancing course of action and then do it. That's wisdom. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? And in Proverbs 1-7, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness or folly. In the Old Testament, folly is it's also a problem of the will, not the brain. Folly is ignoring God's will. It, folly is its spiritual blindness and irresponsibility. Folly never leads you to what you hoped for. And so in the book of Proverbs, again and again, there are these sayings that talk about what a wise person does and what a foolish person does. Wisdom leads to life and to flourishing, and folly leads to death and destruction. Proverbs are these statements of wisdom expressed in an artful, poetic way. And a good proverb, it has to be brief and pithy with deep insight into human nature. It has to be expressed in a few unforgettable words that just stick in your brain. And every culture has examples of this great skill. And in our culture, they are the writers of country music. I mean, there's so much wisdom just in country music song titles alone. And here are just a few of my favorites. The last word in lonesome is me. You have to think about it. You done tore out my heart and stomped that sucker flat. I would kiss you through the screen door, but it'd strain our love. Or you were only a splinter as I slid down the banister of life. I mean, every culture has such great minds that have such deep insight and gifted wordsmithing, right? Well, Solomon expressed such wisdom throughout Proverbs, and here are just a few examples. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then someone shared their favorite proverb with me tonight as they came in, and I don't have a slide for this one, but it's just too genius not to share. If anyone blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Isn't that true? Anyone who blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it's going to be taken as a curse. They're not a morning person. And although several proverbs will be similar as you read through the book of Proverbs, there's this one that's repeated verbatim in Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. And they both say, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that appears to be right to us, but in the end, it's going to lead to death. Ask any hot-tempered person, is getting mad and letting it fly helping you pursue the kind of relationships you want? Ask an alcoholic, is your addictive drinking producing a flourishing life in you? Ask any overcommitted person who just cannot say no. Is your hurried, exhausted lifestyle producing rivers of living water that Jesus said would well up in the hearts of his followers? We really do foolish things, don't we? And what's worse is we do them year after year after year, and we just don't learn from our own pain. And we'll do the same foolish things again this year unless we intentionally seek wisdom 
and begin to live differently. Look at Proverbs 19.3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, and yet their heart rages against the Lord. The truth is, life is hard, isn't it? But if we're honest, if I'm honest, the cause of much of my own pain is me. But I tend not to see that, and I get angry with God or angry with other people's people for what they're putting me through. But I'm the one that's putting me through it. Growing up, we sang a song in church, had these lyrics. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the folly of sin, I resign. Notice it doesn't say all the wrong of sin, I resign. It says all the folly, the foolishness of sin, I resign. Sin is many things. It is rebellion against God. It is destructive and it is unbelievably foolish because it never leads to life. It doesn't matter if the sin is financial or sexual, deceit or mismanaged anger, pride or self-righteousness. The foolishness of sin always leads to heartache and death. Solomon's Proverbs were written to help us resign from the folly of sin and foolishness and to find fullness in life in every way family, money, work, self-control, faith, care for the poor, everything. God's wisdom leads to a flourishing life. And sin's folly, if not resigned, leads to destruction and lifelessness. Solomon began his reign blessed by God as the wisest man in the world. And his approval rating was through the roof. Everything was set up for him to have an unbelievable run of significant service to God and God's kingdom. And so where does Solomon wind up? We'll find out in 1 Kings 11, verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of, his, heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as, his, as David, his father, had done. So here's how low Solomon had sunk. First, notice that he followed Ashtoreth. And Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth was a pagan goddess whose worship involved cultic prostitution. Here we find Solomon, the king of God's people, involved in that kind of that's not wisdom, that's folly. But notice that Molech is not just referred to as this god, but a detestable god of the Ammonites. So what makes Molech detestable? Well, Molech was a god to whom human sacrifices were offered. And those sacrifices often included your own children, burned on an altar to Molech. Now don't miss the tragic irony of this Solomon began his career with wisdom that restored a child to his rightful mother. And then he ends up worshiping a God to whom child sacrifices are made by their very own parents. Solomon, how in the world could you fall that far? How could you start out so well with so much wisdom and descend into that kind of epic, sinful foolishness? Folly. Well, of course, nobody sets out 
intentionally to wind up there, do they? Nobody says, I think I'm just going to crash and burn with my life. Solomon didn't do that. Neither do you or I. Solomon was wise. He knew what to do. He just foolishly doesn't do it. And usually, we know what to do. We just foolishly choose not to do it. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, in verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. What's the key word in that verse? Except. You don't even need to know what comes next, do you? Because as soon as you read the word except, you know that Solomon's in trouble. Just try this at work. Boss, I'm totally committed to hitting my deadline, except. I mean, whatever you say next doesn't matter. Or try it at home. Honey, I love you, and I promise to be faithful to you, except. It doesn't matter what you're going to say after that, does it? The road from wisdom to folly, it always starts with except. And here's where the black box of the king who had it all applies to our lives big time. The difference between wisdom and folly, the difference between the good that God wants for you and the destruction that darkness wants to wreak in your life, the difference between flourishing and failing, it all starts with except. I'm a Christ follower except for how I do my expense reports. I'm a Christ follower except for going deeper and deeper in debt. Proverbs says the borrower is the slave of the lender. I'm a Christ follower except for what God says to do with my sexuality as a single person. I'm a Christ follower except I won't talk about it with my non-Christian friends when I have the chance. I'm a Christ follower except for how I'm treating my wife lately. I'm a Christ follower except for the things I look at online. Solomon's except, it just seems bizarre to us. How can you be the king of the living God, just like your father David, except for practicing pagan idolatry? Well, just like us, Solomon didn't just jump there. He slowly drifted. God said that his king was not to have many wives, but Solomon lost sight of being a person of wisdom who just sought to serve others, and instead he drifted towards the ways of the world, just like the other kings of his day. Solomon married all these foreign wives, and he got caught up in the ways that they lived, and he forgot his very own proverb that said, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And Solomon wasn't just a companion of fools. He married hundreds of them. And it all started with one word, except. We all do it. We all have places in our lives where we say, I'm a Christ follower, except. So what are yours? Don't list them all. Just, just start with one. I'm a Christ follower except when I'm really mad. I'm a Christ follower except I don't do re really anything significant for the poor. I'm a Christ follower except I talk about people behind their back. I'm a Christ follower except that I'm getting ready to marry somebody who's not. And the point here is not for us to be better. The point here is godly wisdom for our lives. 
Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. If anyone on earth could have leaned on their own understanding, it was Solomon, but even he said that wasn't the way to live. He knew better. If he had just followed his own advice, what he knew to be right, he would have been better off. God wants you to flourish, to have an abundant life. And folly is sin that leads you away from the life that God wants for me, for you. It leads you away from the life you've always wanted. And God's wisdom is all over the book of Proverbs that, that we read from this week. It's not just wrong to commit adultery. It's destructive. It's not just wrong to speak harshly to someone. It's destructive. It's not just wrong to go deeper and deeper in debt. It's destructive. And it leads you away from the life you really want and the life that God wants for you. So what is your accept? And are you willing to surrender it fully, completely to God? In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus makes a remarkable statement. Jesus says, Now one who is greater than Solomon is here. For Jesus' listeners that day, it would have just blown them away. Solomon was the great teacher of Israel. I mean, he had blown it, but he was the wisest man who had ever lived. Solomon built their temple. He was just insurmountable in their eyes. And here is this obscure homeless, cloutless carpenter saying, one who is greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying, if you really want to flourish, listen to me. If you really want to live and experience God's best, follow me. All the world came to hear Solomon's wisdom. And even more of the world is going to come to Jesus. The baby who was born in a manger, his wisdom is greater than Solomon's. Wise men came from the east and bowed down and worshipped him as the newborn king. But his kingdom is not of armies and wealth. But it's a kingdom of changed hearts, like yours and mine. And Jesus is here right now and he is saying, I have life for you that is abundant and full. I want to see you flourish and be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to the whole world. Jesus has asked me for my wisdom, and I'll give it to you. Follow me. Give me your life. No more accepts, and I will live inside of you, guiding you to all the ways you should go and all that I have for you, Jesus says. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing another song that some of you might remember. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I don't know what you long for in this new year, but I think I know what God wants for you. God wants His best for you, for you to love Him and serve Him with a heart of wisdom. No exceptions. One far greater than Solomon is here. Will you give him your accepts right now? All to him surrender. The one who came so that we might come to him, not just to give him gifts, 
but to surrender our all so that he can transform us and take our exceptions away. Let's pray together. Lord, move through us. In these moments, would you point out the accepts in us that we need to surrender to you? Conform us more into your image. Renew our minds and restore us. Transform us, Lord, into what brings you glory. 